Hello, beautiful human, and welcome to the Ryan Magic Show. I'm so pumped that you're here. And before I introduce this episode's guest, I want to encourage you to send me a message on Instagram. My handle is the Ryan Magic. In this episode, I interview the amazing Dr. Erin Fall Haskell. And she is a doctor of divinity, a new thought minister, a best-selling author, international speaker, a self-made millionaire, Global Peace Leader Award 2016, mother and lover of life. Forbes featured her as one of the top 11 most inspirational female entrepreneurs to follow on Instagram. She is the founder and TV host of Good Morning La La Land which is America's first live streaming daily talk show focusing on good news, inspiration, and positivity. With over 100 million impressions and 300 guests featured on NBC, ABC, Fox, Fortune, HBO, CBS, MTV, Huffington Post, blah, 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 the list goes on. She's also the CEO and founder of Soul Society. With a mission of being the number one spiritual leaders community in the world, her mission is to awaken a billion people globally to their divinity while teaching them how to reprogram their subconscious mind, align with their personal truth and universal laws, and create daily spiritual practices. So what you're going to learn in this interview is how to let go of attachment, subconscious trauma that holds us back, how to let go and create more strength and courage, how to balance business, success, and spirituality, how to recognize trauma, how to help people find their true purpose and calling, how to overcome and heal deep wounds and trauma, how to create true freedom, fully express your emotions, how to know if you're making the right decisions, how to overcome triggers. It is going to be an absolute clangor of an episode. And Erin is a really good friend of mine. I absolutely love her to bits. And uh, I'm really excited for you guys to dive in today. So without further ado, let's dive in with the one and only Erin Fall Haskell. So welcome to the Ryan Magic Show. Today we're here with Dr. Erin, just one of the most gorgeous people that I've had the, uh, the divine wonder of connecting with at... Justin Bieber's mansion is where we first met, uh-huh. which is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, interview, the last interview I did was with Mel Wells, who I also met at Justin mm-hmm. Bieber's mansion through Nick. And yeah. uh, great people stick together, like-minded people. And you guys are just such a beautiful crew. You're such a beautiful soul. And there's some specific things that I'm really excited to navigate on our conversation today. The trauma release method that you've worked through, but... Something that came up for me when we we're doing our little eye gaze just then and connecting in is I just sense this strength. You've got a real powerful energy. You're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. You've got that light energy as well, but you've got a really powerful energy. And mm-hmm. we're talking about some shifts you've made recently in your life to bold moves, to move away from uh, something that you have natural attach- attachment to. Can you talk to me about how you reconcile using that strength to make bold decisions to things that you have natural attachment to? Oh, that's a great one. First of all, I just want to say thank you for having me. And I just adore you. And Thanks, I love guys. I love the word magic. I think we all need a little bit more magic in our lives for sure. Appreciate it. And um, such a pleasure to be here. So, whoa, that's a big, that's a loaded question. You know, how do you find the courage? And um, I think that it's interesting because I remember 
as we're online and we see all of our influencer friends and whatever. And one of the common kind of courses that people have is finding confidence. Confidence mm-hmm. is a big world word out there. And I remember being uh, a young, you know, say at 18 years old, I was bulimic. I was beautiful from the outside. I was totally broken on the inside, mm-hmm. totally trying to seek validation in the world, trying to find my way and thinking that I was going to find something out there. Mm-hmm. And I know for sure for me and for all the girls who train that the, how I found that strength and that courage and that confidence is only one thing and one thing only. And it is connecting through the veil of life to the source of who you are and dying off as the person that I was and being reborn as the higher version of myself that is Mm -hmm. untouchable. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And one thing that popped into mind as you were chatting then, uh, have you heard of David Dieter? The way of the superior man. There you go. Doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. So I love how David Dieter talks about the three levels of masculinity and femininity. And for the woman, it's like the first level is like a a kind of a slutty. I'm giving myself. I'm using uh, my sexuality to take from the world. And the level two is kind of a suppression of that. That uh, that energy. And it's more like, uh, you know, I'm going to be a strong woman and I suppress that part of myself. And then lens three is a more radiant version that embraces the femininity and the, that beauty in a way that's actually giving to the world. And mm-hmm. I think that can only happen through connection with the divine where, cause the, and the reason that this popped into my mind is because you are very material still, like you have a big presence in the material world and a lot of people that connect with their truth through meditation and detaching from things as well, they, they uh, disconnect from the world and they become less relevant. And I actually, I just moved into a new place here in Middle Park and the Hare Krishnas, there's a Hare Krishna temple nearby. That's so awesome. Yeah. And they dance at the moment, their temple's closed and they dance along the, uh, they dance along the, the side of the beach. There's this, the beach there. And last night I went down and just join them and dance for a while with them. And I was talking about this idea of relevance and detachment and getting the balance right. And I feel like you have that balance really, really well down pat because you're super relevant. You know, you're gorgeous. You really embrace beauty as well and you embrace success, but you, yeah. you do so in a really connected way. Can you talk about how you strike the balance? Sure. I mean, I don't know if you found this, but for me, there was like, there was like, there's been phases of my awakening phases of the spiritual growth phases of everything. And it went to that phase where I wanted to renounce everything. I got really into like wearing only white, even though I'm in white today, but like, you know, <laughs> you kind of like renounce everything and you kind of like, it's almost like you kind of go way out in the extreme. I remember going yeah. really way out in the extreme in my spirituality. And then, you know, the podium, the, the pendulum comes swinging back in and somehow you find, you know, which is really the law of the universe. There's an equanimity that it comes to that there is yes. a balancing, which we're really, really going through. That's what this whole thing's happening right now in the world. And I think for each and every one of us, 
what we teach is I'm in the new thought movement in that I teach metaphysics and universal law and a very mm-hmm. kind of specific lineage. And we teach divine expression, you know? So we, yes, there's people that are perfect in their own way of say the Buddhist monks that go off to Tibet monks or something, and they, you know, renounce everything and they become one with their, you know, kind of tribe, if you will. And there's all different expressions of what it means yeah. to be spiritual. For me, my my unique expression is to be of the material world. And I think that there's a place as a teacher, we find our place of where where it is that we're we're kind of bringing people over the bridge. Some people are very religious and they're taking very staunch religious people and they're hoping they're they're pulling them over the bridge into being a little bit more open-minded, if you will. There's yeah. people that are kind of taking that woo-woo kind of spiritualism and bringing order and discipline to their lives, right? There's all different mm. types. And for me, I have a specific genre and I love material things. I think it's beautiful, the aesthetics and, mm. and even makeup. And I, I love it. And I think we can have both, but I think we have to have responsibility in it as well, of course. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And one way that I've reconciled this recently is it's not about what's right, as if there's like something that's right and there's other things that are wrong. It's just about what's relevant. And what's relevant is different person to person. And what's relevant for you is this beautiful combination of all these attributes and flavors that make you the unique version that only Aaron can be. Yeah, um, we call it living our truth or relative truth. There's ultimate truths and there's relative truths. And what's relative for you is your own, you know, you get to live in your own universe. Everyone gets to live in their own universe in this universe. Yeah. Amazing. So how did you, you mentioned that you were navigating this journey and your pendulum swinging and what, what for you have been some of the most powerful practices for you to, to navigate this journey? It's been such a freaking dream. I'm sure for you too, right? (laughs) It's like this big, like once you get the taste of truth and awakening, you're like, wow, this is like, it's like the best drug on this planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you start expanding consciousness, you turn on super abilities and you're like, whoa, what are we capable of? Right. Yeah. So I mean, I went through, I mean, you know, I've been doing this since, I mean, I'm going to date myself, but I was 22 when I had my stillborn son and I began my journey mm. and I began kind of dabbling in things like different, um, you know, conferences, landmark, like kind of the basics of one-on-one of kind of beginning to do transformational work. And then you kind of like evolve into, I did shamanism, got my nine rights in shamanism. I did the entire bridge of Scientology outside of the church because I didn't like the church. Um, I went wow. and did all a bunch of Greek oracle processes. And then I became a spiritual practitioner and a minister of metaphysics and then doctor of divinity. So it's been a 25 year journey of seeking truth. And, you know, what a freaking amazing journey. I always think about that, like that quote where it says, you know, at the end of life, it's not about, you know, it's like you slide into home base and your body's all used up and you're like all worn out. And you're like, that was a freaking ride. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's where I want to be when I, you know, going out of here. I don't want to be all like, oh, you know, we stay all safe and, you know, like it's cool, but there's a whole world out there to go venture. Yeah. And that's a common thread that I'm seeing with so many people that I interview. And, and I feel it within myself as well. It's just this excitement for the game of life. It's like, mm-hmm. and, and that doesn't mean that we're just always, well, I'll speak for myself. It doesn't mean that I'm always just like, yeah, bring it on. Sometimes I'm loathing and going through some massive unstressing. And totally. sometimes I'm going through. Right now. Yeah. You, you are? 
don't you feel like right now it's like people are needing to get grounded and like really simplify and like breathe this problem? Yeah, well, it's the unavoidable. For a lot of people, I've found because I catch up with a, a a more material focused business group every month. They're not mag- mega into spirituality or personal development. They're really sweet guys, though, and uh, you know there, there's so many comments and learnings around embracing family and slowing down and enjoying enjoying life more. And then when things opened back up here, it was almost they didn't have the same excuse to have that time off. And they're like, damn, now it's in lockdown again. So it's, yeah, I can feel that in the world, that it's a beautiful opportunity for people to reflect and slow down. Mm-hmm. God mm. will do for us, the universe will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So, you know. Yeah. Always perfection. Only perfection in this life. Yeah. And I find that goes really well with the quote of um, the God always gives us what we need, but not always what we want. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know uh, with some vulnerability from you, like what's something recently that you've been, that's not necessarily a preference that you've been dealt where something hasn't gone. I just had a hysterectomy. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, um, and for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it's where you have your uterus and your ovaries and everything taken out of your body. And I was very, I'm very much an alternative medicine person. I'm very much about not, you know, doing as much as you can to align with mother nature. And it was a very, very difficult um, decision for me. And I had so much um, prejudice around um, hysterectomies myself. And therefore, the universe will usually, if you have a judgment towards something, it will usually bring that exact thing into your life. So be careful what you judge, right? So I was faced with it. And um, uh, because I, uh, just to get a little bit um, real and raw here, I almost was bleeding, like I was almost hemorrhaging. I would not stop because I had fibroids, um, fibroid tumors in my in my uterus. And there are some alternative things you can do, but it, mine were so advanced that it was pretty much like it was a real dance. If I wanted to try and do an alternative, I could have potentially had to go into emergency room and get blood trans and it could have been a disaster. So that was something that I had wow. to like surrender to. And, and, um, a week after it's only been two weeks since I had the surgery, but, um, it was a week after my body was, I couldn't even tell it had a uh, operation and I feel better than ever. Wow. And so what was the learning uh, for you through that? That's incredible. Thanks for the vulnerability, by the way. Yeah. You know, um, I think so many things of just recognizing that we can't judge what other people have gone through or even what science says or anything, we need to listen to the intuition within and really honor. uh, And sometimes it's scary to do things. And sometimes there's not always a clear path. I mean, I think that we often have it, especially in the spiritual world, that it's going to be a hell yes or a hell no. And we follow our bliss and sacrifice accordingly. And it's not always the case. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there are pros and cons with the decisions that you make. And sometimes you have to make hard decisions in your Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. My, one of my favorite words, it's a bit of an inside joke with my friends because I say it all the time is discernment. And I feel like the reason it's important is because especially online in this influencer space, everyone's preaching such extreme messages and they're very, they're absolutes on the whole spectrum of a, the polarity of a certain message. So it could be like, you know, courage is the only way or, you know, it's about the hustle or it's about, you know, live a life of, of complete joy. But it's it's not always like if there's joy. 
wear a mask or don't wear a mask or, yeah. you know, or, yeah, it's way extreme. Not, it's not my way. It's not my way at all. <laughs> yeah. But one thing that I have battled with, and I'd love to get some tips for my own learning. That's something I forgot to put in our intentions before we jumped on the call. I want to learn yeah. from this. And you're definitely someone that can teach me so much is I've got some pleaser codes. So growing up, my strategy to navigate through like my upbringing and whatever was to just be as nice as I can so that I can avoid, mm-hmm. you know, it serves me a lot, but it, it keeps me from being my absolute most authentic selves sometimes. Cause you know, I, I, I don't like to, to rattle the cage too much. And sometimes I don't own the things that I think the people that I care about might not respect, which might be like what you were talking about there. You said you had prejudice against the decision for that surgery. You know, there's lots of things that I feel aligned to uh, at this stage of consciousness that other people that are in the conscious community would judge. And I haven't yet fully reconciled and been okay like, with oh, being let's, able to do it at the closet right now. What is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk. Let's, let's, do, let's dive into this right now. Yeah. Okay, cool. So there's a few. I think one is like being willing to be okay being seen. Like for me, I love being seen. <laughs> and I think it was because when I was younger, I didn't feel seen. And so I developed a, after I started to have more confidence in the world, I developed a, you know, I, I love being seen. And so what happened was when I kind of went through lots of growth, where when you first met me is when I was kind of at this stage where I'd produced lots of financial success. And wasn't okay with not being seen and therefore it was like a mega attachment and lots of mm-hmm. and i realized that i was driven from so much insecurity to get validated from my dad from my childhood and now i've kind of navigated through to the other side of it where i meditated and i let go of being seen and i let go of everything but i didn't feel like i had joy resonating in my heart because i'd also almost like demonized the part of myself which are my ego and my authentic expression and then recently, like doing this podcast, for example, I fucking love doing this. I love being on podcasts. I love doing podcasts. I love speaking. I love being seen. I love preaching messages that I care about and people there jumping out and being like, I love that or I don't agree with that or I agree with that. I just like being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, uh, it's something that I, I kind of, I, can't, I intellectually know that it's okay, but then I don't act i don't feel that way in my body i don't fully own it and accept it yeah okay great so um we're not going to fully do the process right now but this is a perfect example of where we would be doing some of the actual trauma work and the reason why trauma work so as i began to journey down the rabbit hole of truth for you know uh it's been 25 years now one of the things that became the most intriguing out of all the work was the subconscious reprogramming. And the reason why is because as spiritualists or people that are seeking truth, where you can begin to meditate, you can begin to have these completely out-of-body experiences. You can have really see through the veil of life and all these amazing, incredible things. But what I was noticing within myself and with the people around me is they weren't, they were able to have these great, amazing, expanded experiences and be totally good with everything. But as soon as they came back into their reality, the insecurities would come, the triggers would come, da, 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 right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, how is this different? This spiritual realm up here versus our human realm, if you will. And what I found is that we actually really need to deal with the DNA. 
because the DNA has all the memory on it, the epigenetics of it, right? So mm. it's all of what, if you would call our um, limited identity, all of our past, you know, inherited. So our DNA stores the past. It's not just gen. It's just not. It's not just genetics. It's past. No, nope, it's called. Well, now in science, it's called epigenetics. It's an entire field of science yeah. that is proving it's Joe Dispenza memory. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah. It's a lineage of, of science. He showcases it in his work. Yeah. But, yeah. So so everything comes through, right? So um, so it's important. So the reason why someone can be really out there and be totally okay with everything, but then all of a sudden they get triggered around when they walk in a room with their father or whatever it may be. It's because there is memory that is living at a DNA level. So our job to be the most empowered, most confident, most express spiritual being is to handle our DNA, to complete the cycles of the DNA, Mm. to keep what works like beating the heart and doing all the, you know, chemical equations of the body and, and being able to remember things like, you know, not having to, um, you know, think of every time we take a step because if there's memory that we want in the body, right. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of memory that doesn't, we don't want, we don't want the memory of, of getting reactive towards our father or our mother or our friends, whatever that may be. Mm. So this is where trauma work is so important because we don't know where that reaction is coming from. It might be, you know, some trauma that's happening in the child here, but we also do past life traumas. It can be something that's stemming from way deep down in there that happens. And the subconscious mind gets programmed basically three ways. It gets programmed through frequency. We know that, but it gets programmed through um, high states of frequency. So that means high states of emotions. The moment you place a positive or negative meaning on anything, you instantaneously create an emotion, right? Mm. So the minute that there's a traumatic incident, you've got high state of a negative state of emotion. That's a, it opens up the subconscious mind and it is, and then we command something into a limited belief. I'll never be accepted. My dad doesn't love me. I'm out of here. I'm different. It doesn't matter anyway, whatever that is. And the subconscious mind just says, and so it is. And so every time we come back in that realm around our father or something, all of a sudden we feel like something, he doesn't accept me. You know what I mean? Because it's triggering that same memory that mm. the, the job of the subconscious mind is to do that, right? Mm. So dealing with the subconscious mind is super important to be able to rid that and be able to find what is Ryan's totally authentic expression of him mm. being seen and being totally okay with it and no longer having that consideration of what's going on from a friend perspective or a father perspective or whatever that is, it gets to let go, right? Yeah. So that's super important. Just to complete the cycle, the other way of, um, of um, programming the subconscious mind is through ecstatic state of emotion. So we call it spoken word, or you can do it through drum circles, or some people take medicines, not my way, but to get into an ecstatic state and to declare the truth, right? So mm. we do that through, I do it through affirmative prayer, things like that. And then the third way of reprogramming the subconscious mind is through habitual ways and spiritual practice, slowly opening up the consciousness and allowing to see new perspectives and allowing. So like meditation. Sure. Meditation. Yep. Absolutely. Or repetitive ways of, of beginning to, you know, slowly reprogram the subconscious mind. So yeah. through, through high negative states, through high states of positive states and through basically expanding consciousness. Beautiful. Thanks for that. Yep. And so what so tips do you have for back me? To being, here back I am. To being seen. <laughs> so back to being seen, right? Yes. So when you're in that state of that knowingness and knowing this is authentic for you, 
The next time you begin to get triggered, notice your inner dialogue and what is that. But ideally, obviously, we want to take you through some trauma so that it just releases and neutralizes those mental pictures around anything traumatic. Yeah. But another way is to become aware in those moments and realize what do you tell yourself? I'm never going to be accepted by my father or whatever that, whatever that command is that like a whisper under the voice and, and know that that is a command that happened that most likely happened during some trauma. Mm. Yeah. I think for me, like the, when it comes up in different contexts and different, there's different content, but the same language would come up around. If I, I do lots of this kind of, getting witnessing myself when I feel certain emotions and I just try to feel it and allow it to come up and let go, but there's still deep embedded things that stay there. <clears throat> and the language usually for me is, am I doing well enough? Am I doing good enough? Mm-hmm. And so like that, uh, or it could be something like, uh, what am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? So like, let's say for example, I'm like, Oh, I want to do a live on this topic. And then I go do the live and I'm like, hang on, is the live the right thing to do? Is that ego? Is that it? And then I can overanalyze. Sometimes when I'm more in my kind of stressor state, <clears throat> so that's the sort of language that comes sure. up. Sure. So one of the, that's another practice. So as a spiritual practitioner, one of our principles that we um, practice is to not evaluate. Mm. No evaluation. And the reason why is because it means we're questioning our own truth, right? So we yeah. don't evaluate ever this versus that. We get down to what is our true commitment and we live in our commitment world. And from commitment, then it takes away any quandary or any evaluation. So anytime you're getting into that state, like, should I be doing this or should I not get back down into what are you truly committed to in your, in your career? What are you, why are you doing this and getting clear back down their commitments? And it usually will answer that evaluation um, conversation. Yeah. That makes it a lot simpler. Is this in alignment with like William Whitecloud's work? Or is it true? I don't know no. who that is, but it's it's considered um, new thought movement. So we have about 1,500 centers around the world that are in, considered in new thought. But Louise Hay was the same doctor as I am. It's all in the in a, the concept that it all comes from consciousness. So we have the ability through universal law to create heaven or hell, depending on how we use it. We can create the mm. same energy that creates scarcity, creates abundance, the same yeah. energy that creates whatever. So everything's from mind. <clears throat> Everything is a mental universe. Is that essentially everything is subjective? Like everything subjective. Uh-huh. And the label. mind is the, the subjective mind is one with the divine mind that outpictures its entire universe. Yeah. So it's always a mental equivalent of whatever's going on. What was what was the biggest thing that you've learned? Thank you for addressing my uh, trauma trigger. I but we'll have to go into the E4 trauma method and say what those steps, if you went through a process, what the steps are and why you go through those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to learn more about that process. I've got a segue question quickly though, but I just want to say mm-hmm. thanks for seeing me. Yeah. Uh, and that is, what what do you would because I know you obviously look up to Louise Hay a lot. What do you what do you see as Louise Hay's like uh, most beautiful human quality? Oh man, I think she was a brilliant woman in that she recognized at that point in history that people were not, they were moving away from religion and they were moving towards the self-development world. And she was smart enough to recognize that if she wanted to get the work out to the world, um, she needed to do it through things like books and through community and that instead of 
um, kind of narrowing it down into where she stemmed from, which was science and mind centers, which had nothing to do with Scientology. But she studied under Ernest Holmes and um, under um, a lineage that um, is a great lineage. But I think that her human capacity to, um, you know, her story, her, her book, uh, You Can Heal Yourself, uh, it, was, it was 20 years before it became a New York Times bestseller. So crazy. So her her belief, her faith, her mm-hmm. commitment was unshakable. And that's that for me is, I mean, you know, how can you not adore that in somebody? Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. I feel like uh, the way that I see it at this stage is that there's all you, you can't escape the 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 gap between like like if you're in alignment with the universe and you get an intuitive hit, it still takes you being willing to enter the unknown, which takes surrender or courage, whatever you want to call it, to be able to trust or know or have faith or whatever it is. You still need to, as a human, be able to navigate through that discomfort and that non-familiar, where that growth lies and where that next stage of the path lies. And I feel as though so this is a, a huge gap for so many spiritual you know, people that are connected to religion or the universal spirituality, just that ability just for them to back themselves and just go, you know what, like I trust, well, you just got to trust that little bit more and trust yourself that you can, and God, that little bit more so that you can surrender and just take that leap into the unknown. And you just, you mentioned a, a decision that you had to make recently where you had to do that. What do you, what do you think helps you make those calls? Like for you, that little willpower thing. We touched yeah. on it earlier, but I'd love to. You know, for me, it's not, it's not actually, it's harder to resist my truth. I know when I'm not living my truth. Um, and what we're talking about is um, Good Morning La Land. So I have a show called Good Morning La Land for anyone's watching. And, um, and I've had to let it go. It may come back, you know, you never know. But it was a huge, huge decision. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, pretty recognized show. I am the owner of the show and the show was kind of going in a direction that was not totally in alignment with my heart in total truth and total consciousness and total spirituality that I'm a thousand percent committed to. And so for me, I don't think it takes courage to follow your truth. I think it is um, harder to not live your truth mm-hmm. and it's, it's letting go, but you get used to letting go of things. Yeah. Like if I'm not living my truth. I know that I can hold on to everything in my world, but I'm going to be miserable in the process. Yeah. And I've done that before. So for me now, um, not living my truth or not letting go of things is way harder than letting go of them by a long yeah. time. And that shows so much of your, you know, that you've done the work, in other words, like you've really kept developing yourself and kept trusting more and developing your relationship with the divine. And people, but I, but I would say for people when they start, they do need courage because they haven't yet got the track record of when I trust the, my uh, gut oh. or intuition, you know, I know it's going to work out and it takes that yeah, evidence. I mean, letting go of um, like some people have to let go of a, a home, you know, maybe they're having financial issues and it's not in the highest good for their family and for themselves to hold on to that home because they need to get freed up. The universe is saying, we want you to get free. You, 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 there's something more here for you. And they're holding on because it's their identity or they're holding on to a relationship that really is not serving anyone anymore. And it could be totally dysfunctional. I know I've been there before and it's really scary. 
because mm-hmm. you feel like you're going to fail and you feel like, you know, what, what's the world going to think and all that. Or maybe it's um, a, a corporate job or a job that you, you know, it pays well or whatever, but you can't give it up because you worked your whole life and you went to college for it and you went all these things, but it doesn't feel right. And to give up those things are so scary because it's giving up an identity. Yeah. But as you know, the entire work of spirituality, we're really doing two things and two things only in spirituality. We're coming back to the true identity that I am. So you have to let go of all identity and it can be the hardest work you'll ever do in your life. And you are number two, you're no longer placing your power out into the world. So that's, that is called spiritual war warrior. That's, that is the hardest work you'll ever do. It is the hardest work to let go of your identity in this world, let go of your titles, let go of, of the way the world thinks you should be in the way you, you, you think you're only good enough or you're only wanted if you're that way. You're only valued if you have enough money or only, you know, your the, the title on your social medias and all that crap. Like when you let that go, there is a freedom beyond there. And then you can have anything once you let it go. So what does that look like more viscerally and tangibly when someone's letting go of everything that they know? How do they come to have everything after that? For those that are listening saying, cool, thanks, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let go of all the things. <laughs> it's, yeah. the things that, what, it's, the, it's the things that you know you need to let go of deep down, right? You're not yeah. just letting go of things for no reason and just like, all right, I'm going to let go of everything. It's like what yeah, I, I, mean, I think, feel attached to. Yeah, I think it's such a good question. And I think it, it sums up in a conversation I had the other day about um, with a dear friend from India around money and prosperity. Mm-hmm. And there's a concept that um, that – Money is a little bit of a destiny in that whatever you truly believe at a core level, whatever is meant to find you will find you and whatever is meant to go away will go away. If you believe at a core level, your worthiness of whatever that is. But the truth is that when you let it all go of what you thought life was and what you thought your identity was and what you thought your bank account meant or your title meant or your house meant or your relationship meant or any of that stuff or the size of your pants or, you know what I mean? Like your, whatever that is for yourself. Okay. Mm. When you let go of all that for me personally, it was really scary. And, um, I didn't know where, where I didn't, you don't see the light and where that's going, but where it go, where it went for me. Can you give an example of what, like, what, like, what I were you letting go of? Home, for example, right. Okay, like it cool. was 2008. I gave the house back to the bank it was really scary. It was a huge mm. identity for me. I'd worked for years and years and years to get to the place where I could have a 7,400 square foot home on a signature golf course and have jets and all this stuff, right? I had to let it go. Wow. And, but what was on the other side of that was really surrendering to my mission and, and calling that I needed to be in Los Angeles to take it to the level that I needed to be at. Wow. And I had to let all that go and everything. And the world that we that I have now is a million times better in that I'm living from purpose, right? And when we get that, we have all of it. When you walk into a place or you walk into the world, it's all of ours. You walk, yeah. like, think about how much, think about the internet right in front of us. How much money would it take for you personally to to develop the internet? Trillions of dollars? <laughs> it's ours we get it and when you open up your consciousness and you recognize it's all yours yeah. having a little home that's worth millions of dollars is nothing compared to what you can have when you really open your eyes and open yourself to the to the construct of the globe 
Yeah, this is really interesting because I've thought about this for a while in relation to the Royal Melbourne Botanical Gardens. There's this set of gardens in the city. And if you go to Melbourne and you go to these gardens, they're just like the most incredible. There must be like a million different species of plants. And it's just crazy. There's like four different lakes in there. It's just incredible. And I love being in this place. And I just... For me, I used to really want to have this massive home because I wanted to own it. But I, I would never be able to afford in that location a thing that is like, as incredible as that. And I can access it for free every day. Exactly. <laughs> but it's just, and so many people are addicted to these labels. Like you could walk into a, an amazing hotel in the city, which is more incredible than a house you'd you know, most likely ever be able to afford. And you can just enjoy it for free. So where do you think, and, where, where does it come right? from, this wantingness and to And you could it? also recreate a big home and have that as well. Yeah. But when we open our eyes and we let go of the only way, if we call it outlining, if we try and control how things show up exactly, we're not allowing the universe to do its job. The universe only knows abundance. It wants to give you more than you ever could ever even think of. Yeah. And that was a perfect example of those gardens. You now yeah. can walk into gardens that, you know, what would it take for you to build a home and be able to have that yard there or whatever? And some people might think, well, but it's not yours and you're not in your right backyard. Who cares? It's yeah. all of ours. Yeah. So what would you say then to someone? Because I was discussing this point last night with my ex on the phone. Like we, we have these like little wisdom session chats and we're talking about the idea of like, she was listening to Gabby Bernstein talking about when you let go, then the universe provides. And you were saying outlining, and I'm guessing the metaphor is like, because if you outline, then you're trapped in the circle of what you've outlined and you can't go beyond that because you just, your views kind of like singled out and, and narrow and you don't, you miss the rest. But you, you know, I catch up with guys regularly that come from force and they work their ass off. And I know that there's a, there's a big gap of fulfillment for a lot of these guys that I'm friends with and some girls but they do have massive wealth, like net worths, just massive net worths and really rich. And and they've done it through force. They've done it through courage, hard work, not mega passionate, not mega f- fulfilled, but they, they've got more money than most people. So what would I'm you say? all about, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with building wealth and I love money. Don't get me wrong. I like expensive things. I just bought a new Range Rover. I love all of it. But the issue is, as we know through the Harvard studies that money does not equate to happiness. Money does not equate to fulfillment. In fact, the yeah. studies are that $70,000 is where beyond $70,000, and I'm sure for LA, it'd be more like $200,000, <laughs> right? But say $70,000 is the average person. It doesn't, if you're below that, of course, it's going to be stressful. You're not going to be able to have the basics of life. But beyond $70,000, they found that it doesn't make a difference of how happy or fulfilled somebody is. And trust me, I've worked with top CEOs and top celebrities, and it does not mean that you're going to be happy and fulfilled. The goal is not, and I think Gary, you talked about this a lot right now, we need to redefine what it means to be happy and what, Mm. what wealth is. And it really is fulfillment. And so what is it taking for you to be fulfilled? 
and be expressed. And if that is having millions of dollars, great. If it's not great, but you get to decide what your expression is and what that is versus what the culture's told you and what you thought you should do because you're keeping up with the Jones and you're trying to be competitive with your buddies to show them who has a bigger, you know what, right? So whatever that is for you, and I'm all for it. I love wealth. You know, I'm I'm the first to say that I I love, um, you know, aesthetics and beauty and expensive things, but it doesn't define me and I can have it or not have it. And sometimes you create a lot of it and sometimes you don't and sometimes it flows and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And I think that's the, the key there is, are you attached to whatever it is at the moment that you really want? Because if you want something and you've got mega attachment to it and then it gets taken away and then you feel like a piece of shit, then yep. that's, the, that's a problem. It's not a problem to have something though. If like you said, you're cool if you have it, you're cool if you don't. I was not cool without my business that was really successful, that my identity had a huge flag planted in. I was like, this is me. And without that, I'm a nobody and I'm a piece of shit and blah, 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 which was legitimately my truth at that point. And I didn't know any better. That was just my reality. And so I think that's really, really important. Um, so if somebody like, what would you, cause I, my belief is that, you know, money doesn't make you happy. I've had the money and now I know it doesn't make me happy, but I feel like for a lot of people, they need to find it out for themselves. Is there any way to, to get around that so that they don't have to see for themselves and go through a period of suffering first in that long pursuit? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I'm always the person to say like, Oh, you're not committed to, you know, doing your corporate work. Great. Have at it. Go out there and go try and get fulfilled out there and go try and, you know, be identified as, as whatever it is in your world. Have at it. You know, I, I feel like that's that solid pull yeah. energy. Like as soon as you say that, some you like someone's like, yeah, Aaron, I want to work with you, but I, you know, I just want to make this money. And you're like, cool, go off and do it. And they're like, okay. hey, hang on a second. <laughs> and I'm all again. Uh, look, I work with a lot of women, and, and I'm uh, you know helping break through to prosperity. And it's important. Money is important because it's expression, it's freedom, it's power. We get to create amazing things with it. So I'm all about money. But when it comes from an identity and attachment from an insecurity or from something that's really not authentic, it just doesn't work. Period. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what would you then say for the dudes and chicks that are doing businesses that aren't, they're not that passionate about and the role that they're playing in the business, they don't actually like that much. So for, I've got, yeah, I would never tell them to not do whatever. Cause they have, but they have at it and they build wealth and I really would love to, you know, help them step into passion, but I just don't feel like, they're ready. Yeah, I, I think that I would never. I think I went through that phase like years ago, trying to fix people and trying to have them see the light and everything. And then you realize, like, no, it's really cool. They're having a human experience, and they're never going to know. They're never going to get to that next place until they fully experience. And I realize that we're all going through exactly the suffering that we need to go through in mm. order to get to the place where we have a relative experience of that. So they're yeah. in the perfect position right now for them to experience. And, and it may be the whole lifetime they want to just experience that relative feeling of not fully being fulfilled. And maybe it's going to be a hard reality when they're on their deathbed and they're realizing like, shit. Not, I don't get to take any of this with me and I really didn't totally enjoy my life. So shit, that sucks, but maybe they need to learn it in that hard lesson at the end of their life. Yeah. This is the best lessons come with blood. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> okay. 
Cool. Thanks. So what, what do you recommend for chicks that are, or you say you coach a lot of women, guys or girls that are starting out on their kind of like most passion. For, like let's say someone's not doing what they want, but they're aware that they don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. They're aware that they're in a business to make money or they're in a job that they don't like. And they kind of have a gut feel or some intu- intuition flowing through of what they want to do next. How would yeah. you say that they should navigate getting to there i know it's different with every person but- no it's actually we have a formula it's very simple Ooh. it's a three-step formula to discovering your purpose and calling in life and is it the truth no but it's worked for thousands of clients i've worked with okay so awesome. number one is your triumph and so what we do is you really can't birth your purpose until triumph uh-huh so you, yeah, yeah. you can't really birth your purpose until you've done your trauma work because through the trauma work you recognize what you needed to learn all the suffering you chose all the suffering. at a subconscious spiritual level and in completing those cycles and having the triumph you are actually completing your dna cycle but you're also you're one with everyone on the planet so it's actually becomes a mission for people through their triumph whatever they've had to overcome so that's step one it's going what i i come into the world and the the philosophy is i chose this life to go through the hardship and the suffering that i've had to go through to learn certain lessons, to get to get to a point where I understand what those lessons are. That's the triumph. And now I'm ready to, to right. step two. So step in two and three is about d- discovering your passion. So yeah. what is it that you truly want? So because say, for example, the first step, someone has triumph over um, codependency, for example. Can you do this with me quickly? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do yeah. it right now. Okay, yeah, cool. let's, yeah, let's do it now. Even though I think you're already living on your purpose and calling, but it'll help maybe hone it a little bit more. Exactly. You work with, right? And, and hopefully so the specificity helps people, yeah. So what is the hardest thing you've ever had to overcome in your life? I think there's been multiple, but I'd say the first one was being able to get out of my like dad's like grip. Like I, I was, my mom left when I was 13 and I was left with my dad and he was very controlling. And, and then when I was at the end of high school, I left home and that was leaving home to for, like forge my own way was probably one of the hardest things that I've had to do. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is that, what would you say is the, the lesson in it? That's a good question. And I've reflected on I've done trauma work around it a lot, but I haven't asked myself the big question. So I think the lesson in it is that you need to choose what, what, like you need to know your own worth and choose, choose your own path. Great. Great. Okay. Mm. So second is passion. What is it that you love to do? If you won the lottery, today you never had to work for money the rest of your life what would you do how would you spend your time what would you do i'd say it'd be a combination between chatting with people conversations to do with spirituality growth business life philosophy and chasing waterfalls and spiritual ceremonies, okay. like catching up, cacao ceremony, tarot cards, oracle cards, just chats with people, intention setting, Great. singing, mm-hmm. ki- kiatan. Great. 
And then lastly, what would you say is your skill set? Like, what is your actual skill set? What would you say you're really good at? I'd say speaking from the heart and being courageous. Mm-hmm. Strategy as well. Strategizing how to make something work. Okay, great. Well, I mean, for me, I just heard exactly what your business model is. So, you know. Yeah. Out of that, what would you say is like, if you were to give yourself advice looking in on that conversation, what kind of a business would you say? Okay, Ryan, this is clearly what you're meant to do. Yeah. I think like what I could, what I learned from that and thank you for facilitating, creating a space for some value for me on this. So even though the whole thing's valuable for me, I'd say the learning that I get is that, that I need to prioritize more time in nature and incorporate it as part of my business as well because i say it regularly but it's something that sometimes just gets put to the side but when i'm in it i'm in so much joy like if i'm climbing trees or in finding a waterfall or exploring through a jungle it's that traveling and adventuring aspect and uh i think that really just I don't exactly know how it's incorporated, but it just needs to be done and then figured out on, on the way. Well, I think it's brilliant. And the reason why is because I think that men in particular learn through doing and through, they're much more tactile than women were much more analytical and emotional, you know? So I think that yeah. to take men out into transformation and, and have them find themselves and have them, you know, have ceremony to let go of what their culture and their parents and their dads in particular told them Mm -hmm. and and release it through ceremony i think it's the greatest gift you could ever give somebody on this planet i think that you have a total Mm -hmm. business there and i think it's much needed and i think the men's movement has not even begun i think it's going to be a huge movement and i think so many men are ready for it they're trying to find their way after the me too movement and just everything and they're just they're dying they're really hurting inside yeah it's super interesting because i actually just let go of my men's work program (laughs) <laughs> which is crowding of the Kings. Um, and I, th- and I, th- I think it was because of the type of person that I was attracting through it. Um, so I feel like what I, yeah, that's interesting. Like running those retreats. I think that's something I need to feel into more mm-hmm. and I'll keep you posted on it. Be Thank cool. you for that. Amazing. Really excited for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that makes a lot of sense though, because that incorporates everything like going into the jungle yeah. and doing those ceremonies it doesn't yeah. mean it has to all be out in the jungle. You know what I mean? Like yeah, when yeah. general men's group will meet, you know, whatever at a place or online and then they go on a retreat also, you know, it can be a mixture of. of yeah. Them. It's interesting because I, when I, I just kept getting called men's group, like men's work, you should serve men. And I feel as though like I, I love working with men, but I feel like I attract a lot of women as well that I love work. Like I love chatting with you for example. And I reckon at least 50% of the people that I connect with through the podcast that I just love chatting with are women. Uh, so yeah, it'd be, there's obviously some crazy yeah. combination. And we'll have like, we create a, you know, how people create their avatar and your, your avatar might be a man, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't also attract women. Like I, my avatar is a woman of who I help and, and our model for a business, but we have a few men also. So it doesn't mean mm. you have to say no to whoever, but you still are speaking and that's really your mission and it will attract whoever it's supposed to attract. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Love that. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for creating yeah. the space for me on this. Mm-hmm. So, what if, so I got a question for you. What 
Uh, if you were to talk with friends and get together with a bunch of girls or guys or friends uh, and be talking about a topic that you just can talk about forever and it's like one of your favorite topics to talk about for me it's relationships i like i don't know i just love talking about relationships and spirituality what for you do you just love talking about you know i actually i love my soul-based entrepreneur girlfriends and quite frankly we talk about business a lot because we're creating and like what could we create and and different ways of creating and all that um I guess just because it's really just right now, the chapter in my life, because I've I yeah. been through so much spiritual stuff and, and so much relationship stuff. And I think it's just the chapter of my life. I don't think it's something like the theme of what I'd want to talk to forever, but I do think there's chapters of what really our conversation is, yeah. wherever we go, because it's really where we're trying to seek and like what's really going on for us and what we're really trying to dive into consciously and fully understand as yeah. well as all our relationship, how we relate to it. So for me right awesome. now, I was really interested in business, quite frankly. It's like I've gone the opposite. <laughs> right. I love business as well, but the business thing, I kind of kind of like how you embodied spirituality. Like I just embody business. Mm-hmm. And now like I'm excited to talk about spirituality because it's relevant. So for you within the business scope, like what's one of the most exciting epiphanies that you've had recently? Um, I'm developing uh, the women in, in Soul Society, the group I run. Um, some of them are in leadership program, just understanding how to develop their business. And others get certified in, uh, as spiritual coaches, they get certified in my trauma method, E4 trauma method. And they're actually getting certified because I made a, a partnership with Emerson Theological. And they get trained as spiritual practitioners and ministers. And so one of the things I'm really loving in business is they're actually beginning to lead within the community. So it's really interesting to watch kind of the, the um, uh, like return on investment, if you will. You know, it's mm-hmm. like if you invest in something, then all of a sudden the residual income starts coming in and doing that in relationship and in community. How do you build a community that grows exponentially mm-hmm. beyond just you? Yeah, I love on the soul of soulpreneur, right? And how that's like the most exciting thing right now for me because how do I? I have to grow so much to be that leader. I yeah. have to grow so much to put structure to it, but then also allow people to have their expression in it. Yes. And like, so that's the conversation I'm in right now. That's cool because that's what you said was most like you looked up to most in Louise Hay as well. And it's actually what's exciting you most at the moment. So it's cool to see how you're taking some, something from someone that you look up to massively and then embodying it and embracing it in your own life. Yeah, it's a development. You know, Ray Dalio is another one. He's not quote, quote, so spiritual, but he runs the largest hedge fund in the world. And his uh, book on principles is really that. It's like, how do your principles at work to build an organization with so many people? And as a spiritualist, I think it's important. The primary relationship is with your higher self. And when you get that tight and right, if you will, then the next level is to get really good in relationship all over. And for me, it's not, you know, for years as a woman, I was so obsessed with that one relationship, that intimate relationship. And that's great. 
but there's a whole world beyond that type of a relationship that can be mm-hmm. so fulfilling and deep and meaningful and transformative. And so I think also it's a time in my life, my son's grown, I've had a hysterectomy, you know, doesn't mean I don't, so don't want intimacy and a partner, but at the same time, there's, it's like the universe again, if we put the blinders on, we think it can only come from one person. We're limiting what it means to have love and relationship. And yeah. when we open up, it can come from so many amazing people and so many great sources out there. Yeah. Well, I hope you still give a, a lucky man the gift of your your unionship because <laughs> you're a cat. So, yeah. so we haven't discussed it yet, but I actually want to understand how your E4 trauma method works. And I'd love to wrap up with, I've got one more question after that. So can you explain how the the process works? Because I know lots of different healing methods and I'd love to understand your special method. Yes. So I like to use the computer analogy first about it. So if you we're very much like a computer, the subconscious mind works just like a computer. So if you're looking at a computer right now or phone, you can touch it. It's called the hardware. The body is the hardware, the bones, the neurons, all that stuff. Inside of your computer is what's the software. It can get glitches in it, can be upgraded, downgraded. Inside of us, we have belief systems. That's our programming. Our programming comes from our epigenetics, the memory of our lineage. It also comes from the program we see in the culture, our parents, and so on and so forth. Okay. Then our computer might have memory, right? So it can have good memory, a lot of memory, not a lot of memory. We have memory at every cellular level. We also have Akashic records. Every mental picture that's ever existed in all of time lives in us at some level. Every memory from our lineage of our ancestors lives in us at every memory. So just like your computer gets glitches in it, gets a little spinning ball, a little slow, has too many tabs open. It gets. I call it the spinning wheel of death. (laughs) Right, yeah. It doesn't have great Wi-Fi system. Um, all kinds of things. Same thing happens with us. We don't have good connection to source. We're not going to have good Wi-Fi. We don't, we don't, we haven't completed all the cycles of our trauma. We start getting a little confused and overwhelmed. Our life doesn't work. Mm. We start getting memory lapses because we have too much going on at a psyche level. So what do we do with the computer? We pull up the tabs, we complete the cycle, we save it, we delete it, we file it, we throw it out, we clear the cache, we reboot it, we do whatever. Same with us. In the subconscious mind work, we pull up all the trauma and we complete the cycle. Because if trauma work hasn't been completed, it keeps trying to run its tab, keeps pulling up stuff, and it keeps going over and over again. It doesn't give us the freedom of choice to be present in here and now. I've got a really quick question for you on that like how does someone how can someone recognize if they've got trauma is it that they get reactive is it certain is it triggers like how do you yeah you could definitely triggers like if somebody says something and all of a sudden you get that that feeling that's trauma what about Mm -hmm. for the people that are like really kind of driven numb businessmen that kind of think they've got all their shit sorted and just block everything out yeah i guess they're not ready a lot of times they're not ready to heal the reality is everybody has trauma it's not trauma is not like if you're in a war or if you got hit by a car. Trauma is emotionally charged instances and it's relative. Some a kid can look at you on the jungle gym in fifth grade and you can have trauma from it because you got really upset. Yeah. Everybody has trauma. Yeah. Maybe there's one percent of the population that doesn't well, have trauma. The question I, I have is like, yeah, I know these guys have the trauma, but they're kind of ignorant to it, you know? Like you'd say, like, oh, do you have to work through it? No, I kinda of need to work through that shit. You know, I've got all my shit sorted. Yeah. That's not and, ready to heal. How about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, right? it's pretty clear. I mean, cool. It's limited identity, basically. Do they have limited identity? Do they have programs that are running? Yes. Okay. So what we do is this. It's a four-step process. And what we do is every memory, it lives as a mental in- image in a subconscious realm, okay? And that mental image has charge on it. And if it's charged, then it's basically being, it's, it's playing. An emotional charge? Emotional charge on it. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what we do is we actually, the only thing that can keep charge on a mental picture or keep trauma is two things. It is a limited belief or a limited story. It's the meaning we put around that at a subconscious level. Okay. Mm. So what we do is we go back into the experience. We re-experience it. Mm. So what we do is number one, we re-experience the event as if it's happening right now. So you don't go back and you go, well, it was 1995 and I was, no. So there I am. I'm in the room. In walks my dad. He says this. I say that. Okay. So re-experiencing it. That's the number one thing. Okay. Mm. Number two is evaluation. No evaluation. I got upset when he said that because, or I was, no, no evaluation of it. We're, we're as the beta saying, we're as is in it. So no evaluation. I walked in. He said this. I said that. And you're fully experiencing it. So what do you say with the Vedas? As the is Vedas, the, as it is, is the is as it is the, the of the Vedas, if you will. As is everything. Yep. Life has choice in your freedom. Yes. You just as is it. Okay. I am totality. So re-experiencing it. You're not evaluating it. Number three is emotions. You fully feel whatever emotions are there. One of the reasons why trauma stays on the track is because what we resist persists. So if you constantly like get upset about it, re-energize it, resist the emotion of it, it just stays in in your psyche. So we're going to fully feel whatever emotions there, feel the anger, feel the sadness, feel whatever's there, express it, and just as is experience that emotion. And then number four is what we call enlightenment. And it's really having that epiphany. What did you decide in that moment when you were so upset? What did you decide about yourself? What did you decide about others? What did you decide about life? And you begin to look at what you decided right in the middle of that. You may go over this instant 20 times to fully flatten out and neutralize it and just fully feel it and then recognize, oh my gosh, I decided I'll never make him happy to my dad. And therefore, mm-hmm. every time I get upset or my dad comes around, I'm like, oh, I can't make him happy anyway. You know, whatever triggers there, right? Yeah. And then we also spot what is it that you truly want to declare for yourself now that you know you can declare something new. Okay. Yes. So we take those four steps the re experiencing, no evaluation, that's what we've got E4, and the emotion, enlightenment. And then we do that through past lives as well. Wow. So that's the for trauma method. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So it takes yeah. courage to do, right? Because it takes courage, it's especially hard. especially for a lot of men to feel the emotion is fucking scary. Like I know for a lot of my business coaching clients and men that I've worked with, it's like they're being courageous in the action and marketing campaign and risk in business. But then when it comes to actually saying how you feel, to your partner <laughs> feeling emotion is damn scary so it takes courage yeah or usually, sometimes it's like they were beat up when they had emotions as a little kid or something or they were made fun of and yeah. so therefore they just go it's not safe to have emotions and then that's a command and then that command runs out 
as that trauma over and over again. And then when they go back and they spot that, they can release that. No, usually sometimes men won't have emotions right in it. They have a hard time, but then usually like, it'll be like, oh my gosh, in the middle of the night, I started bawling my eyes out. I couldn't believe it. It was like this thing that just started flowing. And so you just have to trust the process and know it's going to come out whenever it's ready. Okay. So if you're, uh, if you're going through the process and let's say you were facilitating it for me and I go back to a memory where I was just, I was feeling like super scared and all like super sad, but then I'm just like stiff as a board and I won't release any of that. I won't experience any of that emotion. Is there any tips you have for experiencing it? Like how do you help people surrender into feeling that? Usually it's just going back into those traumatic incidences where they can tap into that and when they can spot where they decided to not be emotional. And then once they recognize that, they recognize that that's really not working for them. It's working against them. And then usually there's some movement, but you know, not everybody, not everybody has to awaken through having a lot of emotions. You know, sometimes it happens in different ways. Sometimes they get angry. Yeah. Sometimes they whatever. And sometimes they have to go through an array of, of just feeling numb, but the emotions, there is a level of emotions and apathy where a lot of them are at is actually worse than being like, sad. right. So it's actually a safe place for a lot of people and just to be in apathy. But when they get the impact of going through life, um, apathetic, I mean, I think it's partly a visualization of a a death meditation, I call it. Imagine you're on your deathbed and what are you going to regret and really getting clear of what that is. And that sometimes helps shift people to really get like, um, it's going to, that would really not be okay for me to not fully, you know, express and love and, and, and have deep, meaningful relationships. Yeah, that's really cool. So if someone's got a, like not expressing emotion, like start with the trauma around not expressing emotion. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. usually uh, they decided, they, they commanded they were not going to be emotional at some level probably. Yeah, wow. And uh, the idea, so when you get to the end of it, how do you know How do you know that you said you might have to go through the process a few times? Mm-hmm. How do you know when sure, you're- Sure, what you do is you watch the motion. So the motion will kind of, it's sometimes hard to get back. Sometimes they won't remember. Like, I don't have to remember everything. No problem. That means the veil of life. The veil of life comes on when we tell ourselves a lie. That's why we remember everything to about four years old. And then we don't remember anything after that, before that, because our veil came on because we, we bought into a limited belief, a lie. And so same thing happens with trauma. You won't remember part of the incident. And that's where a lie, uh, you told yourself a lie. So can, you explain, you slowly, right, can you explain the veil of life again? It sounds like a really cool Veil of life is, 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 um, is memories, literally memory. So how many people can remember when they're two years old? Probably no one until you've done your work, but, um, most people can't because the veil of life means that it is basically, um, a division between you and the world. You basically have decided you are something other than the I am and therefore your actual, your, your viewpoint of it actually goes away. It's like your ego lens kind of thing. Yeah, it's an actual, like, if you remember back of, of something that happened, you're like, I don't really remember. I was on the jungle gym, and then I remember this one part, but I don't remember what happened after that. Technically, you should be able to track everything that ever happened in your entire lifetime and past lifetimes. So if yes. you can't, that means that there are limited beliefs. Okay, and what and the limiting t- beliefs are the veil that's stopping you from remembering. Mm-hmm. So what do you do then? 
if you've you got to keep going in and neutralizing and releasing the limited beliefs and lim limited identity and the veil will lift off and you'll start to remember more everything you should be able to track all lifetimes of everyone wow because de martini talks about this and when do you know have you followed de martini at all mm -hmm. he's yeah yeah he's awesome and when I've, I've done his uh, breakthrough experience a few times and when he does like a like a neutralization with someone and he's like go back remember when they grabbed the rope and they're like he can't remember and he's like yes you can <laughs> and he just like grills him because he's like you can remember you'll know exactly what happened at this moment yep. and yep. so now it makes sense because you've mm -hmm. got it stored in you okay so you just have to keep understand that trauma release is an ongoing process it's an, it's an ongoing thing and you're not just doing it for you you're doing it for the collective so you should be able when you go into past lives people think you're just tracking your past lives but you're actually tracking all but you're all past lives so you should be able to track anything anywhere you should be able to close your eyes and be able to go to any single person any person all relationships are eternal um that's called enlightenment yeah wow so do you when do you use this like when do you release trauma is it when like do you do it reactively to when a trigger gets brought up so you go about your life normally trigger gets brought up and then you're like, cool, time to use the E4 trauma method. Um, I mean, I did most of my trauma for years. So I don't have like, I don't get triggered. You don't get triggered. I don't get triggered, but I might have. Sounds like, a like, a, like sounds like a uh, challenge. <laughs> I'll yeah, come stay at right? your place next yeah. time. <laughs> I'm in LA. However, what I do have is truth versus not truth. Sure. Right. So now it's like, oh, something is not sitting right with me because I ain't living my truth and this is not my truth and this is not how I want to live. So let's deal with this. So that's kind of like feedback almost. Yeah, it's feedback almost versus like a trigger. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing, Erin. Thank you for sharing that. That's super yeah. cool. <laughs> so how long have you been working on that method for? Well, I did it for years and years. I worked with a few people with Greek oracle processes. So Socrates method um, is based in Greek oracle processes. Is that Socrates? Uh, is yeah, Socrates. Uh -huh. And so basically, it's it's really is the entire process of uh, Socrates or Socrates, depending on how you have to yeah, say yeah. it, um, is really asking so many questions and expanding consciousness, expanding consciousness. So when you start getting to those modalities and then you start getting into what you're really doing energetically in those things is you're, you are having a relationship with a perception and mm. you're keep relating in different perceptions. And so through that, then I was like, well, what if we related to our trauma and how do we, how do we have a breakdown of what this is? And then you take the Vedas and the Vedas are, you know, as ising things and neutralizing things. So it's like, it all began to like make sense. But so it's been years. I mean, it didn't like come out of like, I'm going to sit down and write up this. It was like, you know, trying everything. It wasn't until I started certifying people and stuff that I was like, how do we get this in such a clear fashion? Yeah. It's like someone just doesn't need to, you know, they can just have this work and it's just basic. So it was a lot, I mean, a lot of years. You know? Yeah. That's really cool that you studied the Vedas because I studied it a couple of years ago and I'd done like a lot of mainstream personal development, but I, it was just the most truthful. It's really weird to describe because when I learned all these principles, it was the first time I'd learned principles that felt right. It wasn't like, it wasn't even about it making sense or not. It's just like they said it and I was like, yeah, that feels like really good. Whereas usually when I was learning from teachers, they would say things and I go, oh, that's a cool idea. And I'd write it down. That's a cool idea. Write it. But I wouldn't be like, that feels like it feels right. And I think that's because of the Sanskrit is onomatopoeic where it 
like it, it's resonance. There's a resonance to the language where it seeps oh, with, within you. Yeah. It's such a beautiful study for anyone that doesn't know Vedic wisdom or the yeah, Vedas, incredible. the Bhagavad Gita. It was a religion. It was just the way of life. It was like science and spirituality. There was no distinction between the two. You know? Yeah. Well, the Vedas means the truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. It's a good question. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it means the truth. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Well, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. Cause yeah. anyone that's listening, like highly encourage you next time you go through something just to sit with yourself. Is this something that people can do with themselves? Absolutely. They've got to be courageous though, because usually trauma is like, Oh, I don't want to deal with that. I just don't, it just upsets me even when I think about it. Yeah. And the, the issue is that if you go back in and re-experience that, and if you're not disciplined enough to not tell the story and not re-energize it as yeah. the victim, and not be and put meaning on it, then you're just going to open it. It's like having, you know, a, a wound that has a scab on it and keep picking up the scab. It's, it's not going to work. So you've got to be disciplined enough to just go back in and experience it. And as is it and, re, and fully be with the emotions instead of making meaning around it and creating emotions. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why there was no evaluation because that helps prevent the, the victim. Is that correct? Yep. You just can't tell a story around it. You can't. You can't put meaning on it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing. Now that's super concise, simple. It's a really powerful method. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, as thank you for jumping on. It's been so much fun. I wanted to honor you before. I've got still got one more question, but I just want to honor you first and foremost for being such an incredible woman. You're just such a great example of what it means to be a conscious woman in the world. And like I said at the start, like I, I, I've, I've always felt your radiance and, but I haven't, we haven't spent a ridiculous amount of time together and I feel your power It's so strong and it's the universe flowing through you. It's really beautiful. And just wanted to th say thank you for being you as such a, a light worker in the world. It's, it really is incredible. Where can people find you before I ask my last question? Oh, Yeah. I'm on social media as Dr. Aaron.tv, which is D-R-E-R-I-N.tv. So I'm a doctor of divinity, as people know. And um, I'm across all boards on that. And then I have a podcast as well, Dr. Aaron. And um, then Soul Society is the platform, which is, has an E on the end. It's like Soul Society with an E on the end, which is S-O-U-L c-i-e-t-e.com and we've got some great uh, programs there. Mm -hmm. that's amazing but mm -hmm. if you just go to dr .tv and send Aaron a message say thank you for the for the podcast that's always a great way to connect and mm -hmm. ask any questions that Aaron might do a video on or then you can be yeah. direct directed wherever from that, that we place. have so much free content so much free content out there come freebies and all kinds of stuff so um always good to connect Woo! friends mm -hmm. Amazing. So my last question, Aaron, before we wrap up for today is if someone came to you and said, Aaron, and they're wearing a mask, by the way, they're wearing a mask. They come <laughs> and say, Aaron, you don't know anything about me, but I, I'm going to give you a million dollars for your best tool, tactic, practice. Like what's one piece of advice that you could give me in exchange for this million dollars? In other words, what's the most powerful thing that you can give someone else, impart on someone else that you've learned on your journey? Mm. I mean, of course, I would say the E4 trauma method because that, I've seen miracles happen. I've seen people grow back hair. I've seen uh, backs that were broken get fixed, right? Grow like back I've seen hair. Miracles. 
Grow back hair on the head. Yeah, I mean, I've seen everything come out of that. So of course I'd say that. But because we've already discussed that, I want to have a new answer. Wait, so can I, can I quickly say, I so did someone come to you bold and then they came to you with a bold head and then they did the A4 trauma method and then they started growing hair again? They weren't totally bald, but yeah, they were very thinning and their hair started growing back. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's incredible. You should put that as like the tagline. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've just seen I've seen so many miracles, like physically, um, obviously, all in all areas for sure. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. But I'm just having a poking a bit of fun there. But what is yeah. the actual then knowledge bomb that you drop if you've already got covered the E4 trauma method? I want to come up with something really sassy and silly or something. Well, you're stroking um, your chin like a wise, yeah. <laughs> like a wise person. A million so. dollars. What would I tell you? <laughs> Um, I don't know. Maybe I would like just grab the money and run or something like that because that would be the best lesson I could give them so pull, that they could pull like, a chunk get really of, angry, pull so a chunk of really the hair out. Because the best gift you could give somebody is kind of like a breakdown so they can have a breakthrough. Well, you could pull some of the hair out and just leave an instruction manual for how to do the E4, E4 trauma. I don't know. Yeah. Take the money and run and then they can grow I mean, it back. Honestly, I would probably say um, get your ass into an incredible community mm. because it's really, that is probably worth exponentially, you know, a good community that's really has your back. Mm. There's nothing like it. Yeah. yeah. That's such a powerful thing. Cause there was this quote I heard the other day that was like, you can never, you can never out execute your environment or something like that. It was like, you can never out, outgrow you you can outgrow you you can never like overpower your environment it's the most powerful force of everything and it's underestimated and if you have an environment and a group that's raising you up that that challenges you that makes you grow that has you stay in truth that like like it's more powerful than your individual consciousness you know like if you're you're in a weak state Mm -hmm. yeah and i feel for so many entrepreneurs and and uh, people that are doing this work, it is, it, they make it lonely for themselves. Like they, they, and like for me as an entrepreneur, I felt so lonely. I remember that was one of the defining moments for me when I was like, something has to change because I had had everything that I want. And I, I felt like as, as, and then as some things started to go wrong, I was like, I don't really feel like I've earned the trust. Like Brene Brown talks about with marble jar, like put enough marbles in other people's cups to even receive support when I need it you know, I just hadn't prioritized community at all. So that's a beautiful answer, um, Erin. And thank you so much for coming on today. I've had an absolute blast. You're such an incredible woman and Aww. loved connecting with you more today. So yes! much fun. It's all about service. If you're sad and lonely, get out of your mind and go serve somebody. That's yeah. what it's all about. Send some that's, messages. That's the secret to life. Oh, amazing. Thanks, Erin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Love you so much. Big hugs. Love you too. Have a great day. Thank you so much, beautiful human for taking the time to tune into today's episode. It means the world to both me and our amazing guests that we had on today. Now, for those of you who are at love level a million and really want to help contribute to the growth of this podcast, here's how you can do so. The first thing you could do is rate and review the podcast. It gets the message out there and that is something that means a lot to me and I heavily appreciate it. The second thing you could do 
is actually reach out and say hello. I love getting DMs from people. Instagram's the place. The Ryan Magic. And just send me a, a message, either telling me about your story, asking a question, or letting me know how the podcast has made a difference to you. And the third thing is staying on this journey with me. I'm doing these podcast episodes for both of our growth. And the essence behind this podcast, Grow with Ryan Magic, Grow being with double O, the infinity sign actually symbolizes that you never stop growing. And if you can make a devotion and a commitment to yourself to keep showing up, keep learning and do your best to implement the growth strategies while at the same time bringing your fulfillment on the journey. So thank you again for showing up today, showing up for you. I love you. I appreciate you. And I'm so grateful. And I can't wait to see you on the next episode of the Grow with Ryan Magic podcast.